the greatest need in the life of the Christian of any generation, no exceptions, is to grasp and grapple with a mature, holy, biblical understanding of the majesty, grace, and grandeur, and magnificence, and splendor of an incomparable God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Romans in the New Testament, and we're reading from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, and you'll find it on page 1754 of the Church Bible, page 1754, Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Over the last few Sundays, we have been working our way through the book of Romans, and we're almost come to an end. We will finish them at the end of this month. And we are reading this morning from the second half of chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes these words. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness... But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become, a, become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. I suspect most of you will have noticed and can identify with what I'm about to say next. We ones who are between 12 months and 18 months old suddenly change. And they change quite dramatically and surprisingly because one would never have thought that between 12 months and 18 months Infants and toddlers have the ability to understand the complexities of property law, but they do when it comes to toys. Someone sent me this some time ago, and here are the nine commandments of property law as children see them. If I like a toy, it is mine. If I can take it from you, it is mine. If I am playing with something all the pieces are mine. If I think it is mine, it is therefore mine. 
If I saw it first, it's mine. If I had it, then I put it down, it is still mine. If you had it and you put it down, it's mine. <laughs> if it looks like the one I have at home, it is definitely mine. But if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> All of that by way of an introduction to say that when we come to Romans chapter 6, the second part, the passage we read moments ago, Paul uses a number of words that we sometimes feel, oh, I'm not sure I've quite got a hold of that. And in the passage, you heard him talk about life and death and resurrection and righteousness. He also talked about slavery and freedom. And freedom lies at the very heart and core of the gospel. You will remember Jesus himself saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But I'm also conscious that in this passage, the Apostle Paul is doing what he does between here and the end of the book of Romans in chapter 16. He takes profound theological truth and he compresses it tightly and then puts it into a chapter. And we saw that last Sunday morning and we see it again this morning when he talks about slavery in as part and parcel of our sinful nature. And that's his main theme this morning, freedom and, or slavery rather, and freedom. When I was teasing about the children moments ago, the slightly serious point in that illustration is that the child, whether the child knows it or not, is driven by her passions and desires. She simply sees something and thinks, that will be fun, therefore I'll have it, and no one can tell me it's not mine. And when you take it away, there are these huge big sobs as if the world is coming to an end. It's mine. I want to enjoy it. It's fun. Give it to me. It belongs to me. It's mine. It's my precious. As we move further and further into this passage, let me see if I can illustrate what sin does when it takes hold of a life in terms of leading to slavery. Because rightly, some of us this morning may be saying, well, Richard, I read what Paul said. I kind of struggled a bit as you were reading it. But slavery? Really? Slavery? Is that what sin does? Isn't Paul using a little hyperbole? Isn't he exaggerating just to make his point and then he'll come back to the center? I'm not so sure. What about those of us who a few years ago, discovered the wonders of a wireless router in our home. Anywhere in our home, we can open up our laptop and go online and we can Facebook, pick up emails, surf the net. It just seems so wonderful. Until the person who works 60 hours a week is attached at the hip to the laptop, brings that laptop home. And then while the family are busy in other parts of the house, they'll just... Just be five minutes. That's, that's, that's all. Just five minutes. I just want to catch up with emails that have come in. Five minutes leads to an hour. Then it leads to two hours. Before you know it, not only have you put in a 12-hour day, but you're working now at home. On your day off, you find yourself creeping into the office. Just ten minutes. I'll, I'll not be long, I promise. Annual leave and vacation is only for the week. 
It's that individual becoming a workaholic. Out of something that was initially good and helpful, something that would save time, begins to draw us in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Before we know it, we'll become a workaholic. What about those for whom their slavery is connected to what other people think of them? Their self-esteem is determined by others' appreciation or criticism of them, and they're a slave to the opinions of others. Those of us who are slaves to bitterness, jealousy, gossip, oh, it never really hurts anyone, people, that's just the way I am. People always like when I give them information about someone else. Actually, you like when you give them information about someone else. And you like the attention and you like the fact that they're stroking your ego and saying, really, wow, thank you. Never thought of that. Oh, I never heard that. Your ego has been stroked and stroked and stroked. Becoming a slave so easily. That's the point Paul is making. Remember, gosh, must be 10 years ago now, reading a story of a man who was in his mid-30s. He owned a pet shop. He had a large python that he would keep in the front window, and the local kids from the school would come by and knock on the window to see if they could get its attention. And, of course, he would be feeding it mice and rats and things, and they would, some would be just grossed out by this, and others were just fascinated by it. And, of course, the children would go in, and they would have a look, and they were never in danger that was behind glass. And he would sell them, of course, he would sell them goldfish for their home and rabbits and guinea pigs and dogs and cats. And he was just well thought of and well loved. He had an apartment above the shop. And at night he would take his pet snake up and he would sit back and he'd be watching the news or ESPN. And he would take his python and he'd put it around his neck and it would just sit there and dangle down either side and he would stroke it and talk to it. And of course he would feed it rats and... Uh, all sorts of stuff. And his family used to be very concerned. And they would say, you need to be careful. And he would say, it's fine. As long as, it's, as, long as I keep feeding it, it, it'll be fine. Until one morning, the store was not open. And the family went looking for him. And I suspect you've got to the end of the story before I have articulated it. The python had wrapped itself around him and crushed him to death. Remember his own words. As long as I keep feeding it, it will be okay. And that's the spiritual point that Paul is making right here in this chapter. That when an individual comes to faith in Christ, the gospel is not simply for that point of conversion. It's not simply for the moment we gave our life to Christ. It's not simply the day we gave our heart to Him. It's not simply when we surrendered to Him. But He saves us, and then He begins to consecrate us. He saves us, and then begins to consecrate us, to fashion us, and shape us, and refine us after the purposes of the holy purposes of God. And after we have been walking with Him for some time, we will from time to time find ourselves tempted 
giving in to the old self, as Paul used it, the person you used to be. And we give in to sin a little here, a little there, a little the next place. And as long as we keep feeding it, we'll be okay. We can handle it. We can deal with this. And the erosion of the soul is subtle and silent, but very real. Very real. Utterly deadly. And it will be squeezing the very life out of the Christian. And that's the point Paul is making right here in this passage. Look at verse 16, where he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as a slave, you are slaves to the one you obey? As long as I keep feeding it, it will be okay. When Paul was writing to the folks in Rome around the year 48, 49 AD, there was somewhere between 800,000 to a million inhabitants in Rome. The Roman Empire at that stage had a population of about 50 million people. And in Rome itself, around 200, 230,000 were slaves. That is a significant percentage. In fact, slaves at one point in the empire all dressed the same in the city of Rome, and that law was changed because the slaves were beginning to understand the power they had in terms of numbers and representation. There was in that group around 15,000, 20,000 who were voluntary slaves, often people who had no home, were living in abject poverty, no food, living on the streets, they could volunteer to be a slave. And the new slave master, as soon as they crossed the threshold, he was obliged then to provide them with food, and shelter, place to sleep. No vacation, no salary, no days off. Treated like a slave for all intents and purposes. And understand the significance of what just happened. They were a voluntary slave. voluntary slave. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 16, look at it again. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Then the Apostle Paul adds there, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you have were entrusted. You have been set free from sin. That's where I want to focus in the next couple of minutes. You have been set free from sin. If you were with us last Sunday morning, you will remember... The earlier part of chapter 6, I made the point that when Christ comes and invades a life and transforms that person, heart and soul and mind and will, we are given new appetites, new desires, new longings, new affections, new emotions, all to be consecrated for Him. Prayer becomes a priority. Worship is something we enjoy on a Sunday morning. We can't wait to open up the Scriptures and learn from them that God might apply them to our lives and change us and refine us and shape us and consecrate us. That's the point he's making. You are free from sin. 
Last Sunday morning, I also made this point that the power of God that spoke into your life with the gospel had the power to draw you from spiritual death all the way across to spiritual life and give you a new heart and new soul and new mind and new appetites, as we've said. But he doesn't leave us there. He consecrates us. And you are now free from the tyranny and the power and the domination of sin. You are free. So why on earth do we shuffle forward at times thinking, if only I can make it through today. If only he would help me with this sin and that sin and the other sin. Let me encourage you please to put that thinking to death. Put it behind you. Move on. Stand firm for him. Mature in your faith. Grow up. Take him by the hand and walk with him day by day. You are free in Christ. And an amen belongs right in there. Amen. We are. We don't go around on our knees hobbling just to get by. And when sin comes our way, knocking at the door, threatening to crush the life out of us, what do we do? The same power, moral and supernatural power that took Jesus to the resurrection, that takes us from spiritual death to spiritual life, enables us and sustains us. And when sin comes, we take it and we say, Father, I can't deal with this on my own. I don't have the strength. Enable me, sustain me, strengthen me. You take it and help me. You don't give in the first time it comes in all its deceptive power, slow and subtle and silent. And before you know it, it's wrapped itself around you and crushing the very life out of you. You see it coming and you pray, Father, give me spiritual discernment to see it. Let me understand sin for what it is in all its horror and enable me please to stand firm for you, free in Christ. Do you remember the words of the great hymn from Charles Wesley? And can it be is its title. In the third verse he writes this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Then my eye saw a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon was flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Converted and then consecrated, follow thee. That's what Paul is saying right here. And notice what he says next. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Let me ask you a question this morning, please. I'm not sure you will ever be asked this question again by anyone else. And it's a deep and somber, 
solemn question. Don't rush to answer. But let me please plead with you to answer. And answer me honestly and in a transparent fashion. Put your hand on your heart and answer. Do you have a passionate longing for holiness? Do you long for more of Him, to see Him and experience Him in all of His wonder and glory and grandeur and majesty? Do you long to see Him in His sublime essence, to be caught up with Him, to be cleansed and forgiven and refreshed and renewed? And when you are there, when you can pray such a prayer, then you're beginning to understand the gospel. Then you're beginning to understand the gravitas and enormity of what was achieved at Calvary for you. And he longs to take you to that place of holiness and an ever-increasing relationship with him. And Paul says exactly that. Give up your small ambitions. Stop limping through the Christian life pretending that somehow you'll get there, but stand tall. Rejoice in Him. Recognize who you are and allow His Holy Spirit to strengthen you and sustain you and enable you. That's what's going on in this passage. And the picture that comes to mind as you read it deeper and deeper is one of this. Paul talks about ever-increasing wickedness when you give yourself to sin and ever-increasing holiness when you give yourself to Him. We are converted in order to be consecrated. If you're taking notes, put it in the margin this morning. That's what the entirety of chapter 6 is about because people have been pushing back on Paul and saying, now, Paul, hold on. Did you not say that when I sin, God would give even more grace in order to what? Sustain me and enable me and strengthen me. And then they take it to the next step. Well, if from time to time I should fall and sin and he gives more grace, surely I should compare Surely I should be involved in more sin in order to get grace lavished upon me. And Paul is saying, if you think that you have missed the very essence of the gospel because you are converted in order to be consecrated, holiness of life and purpose. Now, if you dare go there, if you are ready to move to the next level in your faith, and are preoccupied and passionate about becoming holy men and women of God, four things will happen. Number one, you will be introduced to sins in your life that you need to confront. Number one, you will be introduced to sins in your life that you need to confront. Not sins you need to feed not sins you need to stroke, not sins you need to surrender to, but sins you need to confront and stop them and put it to an end and be done with it. Number two, you will begin to recognize patterns of behavior in your life that need to be broken. Need to be broken. That your value and your worth is not determined by what other people think of you, 
You don't have to hold on to bitterness and jealousy and gossip and continue to feed it and feed it and feed it. Be done with it. Settle it once and for all. Thirdly, you will gain insight into who you are as a child of God in ways you didn't think possible. When you realize His unfathomable love for you, and when sin decreases and holiness increases, your relationship with Him will go to an all-time high. And number four, you will discover a depth of relationship with Him you never thought was possible. Let me say it again. Number four, you will discover a relationship with Him that you never thought was possible. You've heard me say this in the past, but let me say it again this morning. It certainly seems apropos. The greatest need in the life of the Christian of any generation, no exceptions, is to grasp and grapple with a mature, holy, biblical understanding of the majesty, grace, and grandeur, and magnificence, and splendor of an incomparable God. That's where we begin to grow. That's where we long for holiness. That's where we become passionate about a relationship with Him. Are you there this morning? Do you long for it? Is there any reason why we should not be there? You have been set free. Set free. How does Paul finish the passage? Arguably with one of the best known verses in the entirety of the New Testament. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And understand this, that that eternal life begins here on earth in our relationship with Him. We can know the joy and blessedness of walking with Him each day, of putting to death those sins and moving on beyond them, converted in order to be consecrated. Stop feeding the old self, the old man, the old nature. Be done with it and move on to holiness. For that's where we feel and sense His presence and His grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this incredible passage of Scripture. It has been challenging to us, encouraging to us. Father, help us to remember the promise of Your Word that we have been set free from sin and now become slaves to righteousness. Father, write your truths upon our hearts this day. Take us into this new week, thrilled and excited, ready to live for you because you converted us in order to consecrate us. Father, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whatever you're facing this week, First Presbyterian Church would like to pray for you. 
please call 864-672-1838 to leave your name and a prayer request or receive prayer in person. Details about this service are listed on your screen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org.